there's one thing that I can tell you. There's no one uh, on this planet that can put more pressure on me than I can put on myself. The expectations that I have for this university and this program are extremely high. I met with the players this morning. We had a really good conversation. I had them to myself. And sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. They want to win. They want to compete for championships. They want to be relevant. And I promised them that if they follow the process and they buy in, and they do the things that we're going to ask them, ask them to do, uh, that we will achieve at a high level, and they will reach their full potential, and we'll be able to compete for championships and be in that conversation year in and year out. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of the site, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. At the top there, Mel Tucker was talking about his expectations for this program going forward, Tyler. Pretty clear vision for what he wants his Colorado football program to become. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's not a real surprise. Every coach comes in with a certain mindset and a vision for what their program is going to look like. Now, I'm sure it won't end up being 100% that way. It never does, but you have to like where he's brought everything so far. I like the way that he speaks. Uh, You can tell he definitely commands attention. Um, That's something you want when you're walking into a program, so... From that perspective, I'm pretty excited about him. I really loved a few of the things that he said. We'll get more into that later. But, yeah, it's it was a good start for sure. Got some new podcast equipment on the way. I'm pretty excited about that, Tyler. Allow us to uh, record at GQ and not have it sound like a construction zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2018, baby. <laughs> <laughs> finally, I was like, okay, I've been meaning to do that forever. And finally, I carved out an hour to research stuff and got that done. So looking forward to that. Once again, today's show is brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. These guys are huge Buff fans. These amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They were even highlighted on CBS Denver News recently. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ former felons, addicts, and homeless. Great pillows with a great purpose. Fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and 100 day risk free trial. Ever Pillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. Infinitemoon.com. Well, Tyler, Mel Tucker had his press conference this past Thursday. You also attended a VIP lunch. That he uh, did you get a chance to meet him at that? Yeah, yeah, I got to talk to him for oh, maybe a minute or two. Obviously, a lot of people are trying to get it. right. You know, it yeah. was kind of like uh, being. <laughs> my boss said something funny. He said it was kind of like being in line to see Santa Claus, which was <laughs> which was a great, uh, great comparison. So yeah, with not a whole lot of time, but he actually came over and talked to both of us on his own. Okay, at the basketball game on Saturday, so he remembered us, and that's cool. That's something that you'd like to see, like you know. There was probably 75 people at that luncheon, so to just recognize, oh, I just met these guys. That's an underrated quality for a head yeah. coach, especially, and I think that showcases his ability as a recruiter. Because if you remember people over right. the years, uh, it really leaves an impression with people. And it, it's not an easy thing to do. I definitely couldn't do that. Yeah, I agree. I definitely wouldn't be good at that either. Yeah, I, I think it's important because 
I mean, not me. I just obviously show up. But like Chris and other some of the other huge donors. I mean, you got to be comfortable with those guys. They're spending a lot of money to make sure your program is successful and having a better relationship with that group of people I think is important. McIntyre didn't really make an effort to do that kind of stuff. So I, I do think it's important because those people are, you know, making sure your program has the money it needs. Yeah, and we saw from people in the athletic department that when Tucker met with them, he was very clear that I understand every decision I make affects yeah. all of you as well. Yeah. Which, it's refreshing. I mean, not that McIntyre was horrible in that sense. It was not Dan Hawkins-level stuff. When Dan Hawkins was in there, he was very divisive. And a lot of, most people, I should say, grew to hate him by the end of his tenure. That was, it was never like that with McIntyre. But no. maybe he had more of a sight on football and maybe not taking that extra effort. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's obviously the first week on the job, so it's you know you have to do that dog and pony show a little bit. Yeah. And, um, we'll see if that continues, but... Yeah, McIntyre certainly spent. He he didn't enjoy a lot of the, um, you know, VIP luncheons and that kind of stuff. You could tell that. Well, he didn't like look forward to that. He was always trying to get out of there as soon as possible. And I talked to all four of the official visitors that were on campus. They talked about how Mel Tucker made them uh, feel very welcome and, and felt the love was with them most of the weekend. And this is a guy that's putting together his staff. So a lot going on in that man's world. Uh, mentioned that he definitely has a clear vision for he wants what he wants his program to look like. The first thing I hear him mention almost every time is he wants us to be the most well-conditioned team in the country. It sounds like Drew uh, Wilson will stay on staff as a strength and conditioning coach. What are your thoughts on that decision? I think that's fine. I think the players the, really like. Him. Yeah, for the most part, he's had a good reputation here. Now, obviously, the line has been an area of disappointment, but that doesn't necessarily fall on Drew. That could be a scheme. Well, a recruiting uh, this, thing, right? Right, yeah, all that, too. I mean, you can't make a guy who's not built to be 300 pounds 300 pounds. Just, to, you know, that just is not how it works. So um, I think for the most part, he's done a good job here. I mean, Javi Edwards, big transformation in the last year is a good example of that. And we definitely have some NFL-quality athletes, so I think Wilson has done a great job. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had been replaced with someone, you know, SEC pedigree, and that would have been fine too. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think he certainly deserved to have a shot at retaining his position, and it sounds like he has. Sounds like Katie Basin, the academic uh, director, is going to be on board. I'm telling you, she's mentioned more by recruits than yeah. pretty much every assistant coach sans Darren Cheverini. Yeah, uh, she that was – Probably, yeah, I think it was probably made clear to Mel Tucker that she was his number one target. Get her back first before anything else. And I think she really is that important to this program. I think if McIntyre took a head coaching job somewhere else, there would have been yeah. uh, a tougher, it would have been a tougher job to keep her in Boulder. But obviously he's going to Ole Miss to be their defensive coordinator. Mel Tucker's contract, a five-year, $14.75 million deal, puts him around the 40th highest-paid coach in college football. Seems like a pretty good deal for CU, but at the same time, Mel Tucker's never been a head coach before. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a little bit more than what I threw out as my guess. Okay. Um, Contract-wise, I got a lot of flack for that on Twitter, but ended up being pretty close. And it really was just as simple as he doesn't have head coaching experience at this level. Everyone's like, well, McIntyre made this. Well, he came. He was a head coach before he came here. You know, Mel Tucker was a highly paid assistant. One point five million, I believe, his salary was as the defensive coordinator at Georgia. But still, he's getting basically he's he almost double his salary to be a head coach. That's a pretty solid uptick. So, 
the, the number is about right for me. They're expected to run a 3-4 base with two outside linebackers, with one still being a hybrid position. Not sure if they're still going to refer to that as a buff backer. So it doesn't sound like scheme-wise there's going to be this overhaul, which is good because they don't have a lot of bodies on the D-line coming back in terms of scholarship guys. It would have been really tough to go to a four-man front based on the personnel that they have in terms of numbers on the D-line right now. Yeah, I mean, it definitely fits the type of athletes we have right now. I, I think most people, I feel like, these days are running a 3-4. It seems like to me, or at least a hybrid version of that. So it doesn't really surprise me to see them stick with that, uh, especially in the Pac-12 where you typically want faster guys on the field. The more at, the more agile, less beef, um, I think that's important. Big key for them, obviously, will be finding a replacement for Javier Edwards. Mustafa Johnson said after their season finale against Cal that he really thinks Jalen Sammy is going to be a beast in there in the future. Uh, redshirted this year because of a knee injury. Lyle Tuilum has been pretty solid in there, but probably not starting material based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, he's definitely not going to be the Javier Edwards you saw this year if he's the guy playing most of your snaps. I think you'd like to rotate those guys and maybe even, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast, go a little bit smaller on passing downs where you can move an Israel Antoine in there at times as well. Yeah, I could see that. Jay Johnson is going to be their offensive coordinator. He's got a background as a quarterback's coach, and Kurt Rupper's moving on. So Domino's starting to fall here. We're recording this on Monday morning. Probably don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this staff and how it's going to look just because things are coming out right now and, and changing pretty quickly. But one thing we do know is Darren Cheverini staying on board, which I think the fan base was pretty unanimous with. We'd love to keep him on staff, just not as the play caller in 2019. Yeah, I mean, that experiment didn't work out so well, if we're being frank. Went back and counted. He's been the primary or secondary recruiter on 33 commitments in the last three years. That's a pretty impressive deal. He was a top 10 recruiter on 24-7 sports three years ago, ranked number 7 right now in the Pac-12. Yeah, he's obviously... Losing him probably would have... <laughs> basically thrown a bomb in the middle of our recruiting class, you would have had to start yeah. all over. So I understand uh But I don't think it's of it. I don't think it, the decision's just strictly on that. No, I don't. I'm as a wide receivers coach, he's been very good. I mean obviously there's a lot of depth there. What I've seen a lot of abbreviations for Mel Tucker on the message board. <laughs> yeah. H C M T seems to be the uh consensus. I don't know. It looks kinda awkward. I mean one of my best friends is a Tucker and I just call him Tuck. So for me tuck. It, it'll okay. probably just be as simple as Tuck. Mother Tucker? Yeah. <laughs> Alright. We talked about Mike McIntyre being uh the next D C at Old Miss. Good to see him land on his feet. Uh DJ Elliott going to Kansas is their D C. Uh it's good to see him land on I actually voted for DJ Elliott as my top assistant this year. I just felt like his defense was hung out to dry a lot this past season. For sure. Definitely put in a lot of tough positions, a lot of secondary injuries. Um, so they had their games where they struggled for sure, but, I mean, that's to be expected given the cards that he was dealt, I think, this year. Um, he's a guy that there was kind of, he was kind of 50-50 among the fan base, I feel like, when he was brought on about whether or not that was a good hire. And to me, he exceeded expectations, so... I've got, you know, I wish him the best of luck. Kansas is obviously a tough place to go. Um, we'll see how that plays out for him. But, you know, it's good to see him get a job right away. And same thing with McIntyre. I mean, he's a good football coach. It's no surprise that he had legitimate offers right away. Yeah. Um, 
Ole Miss's defense is absolutely terrible. So he'll have an opportunity to make some changes there, and we'll see how it plays out. And hopefully we can renegotiate this buyout a little bit and save CU a bunch of money. I think DJ Elliott is a really smart defensive mind, can make some good adjustments, but I don't think he would have been a really good fit with Mel Tucker. We hear about Mel Tucker being this guy that gets players to play really hard for him. You know, that, that old saying gets them to run through a brick wall. That was one thing DJ Elliott didn't really have. The players weren't willing to do anything for the man. You know, so I don't know if that fit would have been very good. There was a Nine News report that was talking about the fact he was having to pay two coaches. And then right after explaining none of the money is coming from taxpayers, Marshall Zellinger ends his report by saying, now if we could transfer some of that to the academic side. What is it about big-time college football in the money that's required to compete at a high level, do, do some of these people not understand? Some people just apparently were brought up in an interesting way. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, how out of touch with reality are you guys about the money required to have success in sports? I mean, even if it's indirect, the football program is responsible for a good portion of the amount of people that come to Colorado every single year. So, yeah, academically, the school struggles when the football team is bad. There's a million reports that could show you that. I don't know how, how we continue to have to have this conversation. It's cr- crazy to say that $2.5 million is a drop in the bucket. But if you're a ranked team, it really is in, in yeah. the grand scheme of things. You've got mail, 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 you've got mail, mail, you've got mail. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Fenty2 asked, who else did George interview? Did anyone turn us down? B to the Uffs asked something similar. Last week before the hire, you said Rick George was really excited about four candidates. Assuming Tucker was one, who are the other three? Do you think that Mel Tucker was closer to one than four in order of preference for Rick George? Mel Tucker was definitely closer to to one than four in order of preference for Rick George. Now, Rick George looked us in the face and said that Mel Tucker is the only guy that was formally offered the job. Could be a little bit of semantics. As an AD, you reach out and you feel out situations. You're not going to formally offer it unless you think there's a good chance they accept it, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know all the guys he interviewed, but the guys that drew a lot of the buzz... Uh, Derek Mason from Vanderbilt, Jimmy Lake from Washington, and Ryan Day from Ohio State. Obviously, right when there was some buzz around Ryan Day's name, the report about Urban Meyer stepping down came out. So that was kind of squashed right away. The more I thought about it, even though Jimmy Lake has West Coast ties, Mel Tucker has a better resume coming here than than he would have, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think the pedigree of who he's been working under in his career certainly says that yeah it's just a matter of can he recruit on this part of the country that is yet to be seen yet to feel pretty good about it i mean recruiting is recruiting it's not like these you know it's not like you're speaking to a different species when you come over here to this side of the country right. so yeah i mean i think ultimately both guys were great candidates um, I, I will say i heard from a couple of different people that matt wells was talked to, um, and but that he was already pretty far along with Texas Tech by the time it got there, so it didn't go very far. 
But from what I heard, we did consider Matt Wallace too. I'm interested to see how he does at Texas Tech. David Yost is kind of the mastermind with that offense. I mean, I guess if those guys stay paired together, they could have success. But I don't know. The Wells. Yeah, you liked him a lot less than I did. Yeah, okay. And Jim Levitt, yeah, there were conversations, but that really wasn't a realistic option for Colorado. That would have been, I know you kind of, we disagree on this one too. You wouldn't have viewed that as a horrible hire. No, I wouldn't have. Definitely not. I mean, I think I think Mel Tucker is a better hire, but I would not have been disappointed. Just somebody that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I think it's hard when you do that to then bring them back into the fold. St. Pete Buff asked, I've read a few snippets and seen a couple things on Twitter as well. The current players are liking Tucker so far. Have you talked to any players so far and received any positive feedback about their new coach? I have reached out a little bit and... The players are really excited because they see Mel Tucker as a guy that can put them in a position to win, but their interaction with him has been really limited. Obviously, he's been dealing with all the responsibilities of putting the coaching staff together and trying to keep recruits on board. Yeah, I think he just sets the mood as someone who cares about them on an individual level, not only in football, but in life. I mean, you can see he's already really focused on, he didn't really give the players a choice. He said, you will graduate. You will graduate. Um, that's big, you know, just because it can't just be about football all the time. It seems like a person that if you had something going on in your life, he would be there no matter what. And I think that's a good quality to have as a football coach. He told him, if you buy into the process, we're going to win football games. Um, it's kind of one of those things you hear, the process, and it's kind of cliche. But, I mean, if, if you're coming in as a new head coach – You've got to get these guys to buy in. Otherwise, you can have all these ideas in your head, and they're not going to come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I will say I don't think there's as much of a difference in philosophy with this coaching change as in years past. I mean, from to go from Embry to McIntyre was like two really different animals, you know what I mean? So there is definitely a divide amongst the team at that point about were you pissed, were you not pissed. I think this roster is going to have, for the most part, they're going to be pretty on board with what Tucker's bringing. Ryan BR asked, what's the timeline for having the staff in place? How did the current staff interviews go? So we kind of touched on that a little bit already. I, I would think the majority of the staff will be comprised by the end of the week. Yeah, it sounds like, so he said he wasn't really going to make any decisions this weekend. <laughs> Seems like he was just giving himself a little leeway there. I, it's hard to do that, right? Yeah, a lot, a lot of things. A lot of things appear to have gotten done this weekend. Uh, there's still decisions to be made. I think Chev is staying on. Most people agree that that's probably smart in a reduced role. Hagen was a guy that I could honestly go either way, but he's definitely a big part of the program's history. And you, From a personality standpoint, there's no doubt that him and Mel Tucker are going to get along. So <laughs> that part of it makes a lot of sense, too. Barker Boyd asked, There has been a ton of debate here and elsewhere on staff for Mel Tucker, and especially which current assistants should stay. Okay, we're kind of going down the same <laughs> thing here. Um, is there anything in there that we haven't discussed? Uh, he suspects he could hold over four to five people just to keep the class intact. Perhaps he doesn't have time to do due diligence. I think that's probably not an accurate statement. Uh, a lot of rumors Rick George is encouraging Mel Tucker to keep Chevon. That's probably true. He's staying anyways. Um, he asked if, about him being a 
potential good offensive coordinator. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Maybe down the road. I mean, it was his first year. You can't just say yeah. definitively that Darren Cheverini should never call plays again. Yeah. Dorno9 asked, is having assistant coaches who have recruiting experience in the Pac-12 footprint important or overrated when filling out the rest of the staff? And Buck and Fuffalo asked, what kind of hit does recruiting take with an assistant coaching staff in an uncertain state? How is that overcome? Having experience in the Pac-12 footprint is not overrated when it comes to your assistants. It is overrated when it comes to your head coach who yeah. is not going to the high schools yeah. as much as those assistants. He's doing in-home visits and being a closer on campus. Yeah, I mean, uh, a kid comes to play for a head coach once he's gotten to the point that the program is successful. Pretty simple. Doesn't You don't have to have individual relationships with high schools. If you win your division every year, if you're in the playoff race every year, high school coaches are going to tell you to go play for that school. Pretty pretty simple. Now, head coach um, can be a, a tiebreaker for a kid. Let's say he loves two schools yeah. and he thinks about his in-home visit, kind of that closing ability mm-hmm. of a head coach. That, that can come in at that point. Yeah, for sure. But, it's, again, that's at, once you've gotten to that point, the footprint doesn't have a whole lot to do with it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's important for your assistants to have a lot of experience there, or at the very least, your recruiting coordinator. Now, we've already taken care of that with Cheverini. So you're going to have a guy who's well-known in the footprint at the very least. Yeah, if you send a coach down to Houston that's never recruited that area before, they're gonna. it's going to take some time for them to warm up to you when they've had coaches that are coming by that have been there for 15, 20 plus years, you know, the, yeah, it is very important in that sense. And not only that, just your familiarity as a recruiter driving around in a certain area and feeling comfortable going into those schools. Yeah. You don't want to be, yeah. You don't want to be asking a coach for directions. (laughs) I don't think that's going to play too well when you're recruiting in there. Taser 94 asked if Ty Evans doesn't sign with CU, do the buff sign a Juco quarterback grad transfer, underclass transfer, or try to get in late on a true freshman. Also, do you see the Buffs doing the same thing with the running back? I'd be interested to see if CU went immediately after the Cherry Creek quarterback, who, by the way, has a Georgia offer. Yeah, Alex Padilla, you like him quite a bit. I do like him quite a bit. He's definitely short, um, but I mean, I said before the year that this was a kid who had a chance to be pretty good, and he got some big offers. I think he's still committed to Iowa right now. If you can kick the tires on Padilla because somebody at Georgia liked him. He also asked about doing the same thing at running back. Josiah Davis is definitely solid. And it sounds like Jaron Mangum is most likely going to stick on board too, especially the Hagen news. That makes that likelihood even more uh, – makes that even more likely. I am I don't think the running back position is as in much dire straits as some CU fans do. There's a lot of young talent. There's just not a lot of experience, for sure. But that's one position uh, you could be okay without a lot of experience. Yeah, definitely. I, I think they'll probably try to look around the country and see if a Trayvon McMillan pops up, because obviously that went extremely well. I, I'll say that the, the likelihood of getting a guy with that level of talent is pretty small. So, Deion Smith, I've heard some good things about. We liked him as a recruit coming out of high school. He was banged up coming in. You like Alex Fontenot. You've got Jarek Broussard, kind of a, a slot back type in there. and Yeah, I, I still kind of see him being more in the KD Nixon mold. Okay. But we'll see. Um, I mean, we'll see how, how they use him. But that's when we saw him at camp, that he seemed to be more of a pass catcher type than an than a every down back to me. 
And Mangum looks like he could step in and be a more explosive Bo Bishrat from day one. Probably even bigger than Bo. Yeah, he's bigger and more explosive for sure. All right, let's move along to the next question here. Buffnick asked, how many recruits do you think will visit the final weekend? Is more than 10 realistic? Is the final weekend before the first early signing period? Right, yep. And so that'll be this coming weekend. I would be surprised if it's less than 10. Yeah. Especially knowing that you can bring guys that have been committed that visited when McIntyre is the head coach back out again. Yeah. I'd be interested to see how many new names, if any. Oh, there'll, there'll be some new names. Yeah, but it's someone's got to recruit those new names, so we just have to get together pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would almost, it almost feels like maybe they'll try to do, have a huge push in that second period when there's, you know, some guys are obviously still available. But, yeah, I mean, you don't want to rush into it, I guess. Last year they signed, what, all but one guy in the early signing period. Yeah. That's obviously not happening again this year. Even if some guys, like a Mark Perry, for instance, maybe he stays committed, but a lot of those guys are scheduling other trips. And so you're definitely going to see yeah, gotta a lot a of guys waiting. Stress. I mean, there's a, every program does it different. I mean, USC signed a majority of their kids in the second period last year. So okay. it just depends on how you would like to get it done. And I would assume he's used to doing that too because typically the, the five stars are waiting. So Georgia obviously – Spends a lot of time chasing five stars, so I don't think he'll be out of his element trying to close guys in the second portion of the recruiting period. My best guess at this point is they sign half the guys in the early signing period and probably half late. Yeah, I mean, they have quite a few early enrollees if they all stick around, so those guys obviously will sign early. JDub925 asks, do you think Mel Tucker signs a full class of 25? I believe it was previously thought to be a 21 to 22 man class. I had heard 23... Yeah, you're going to probably sign about 25, 24, 25. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're going to expect some attrition probably just from the coaching change. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to be too much worrisome attrition. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to handle a lot of that. If he's going to push a couple guys, he's like, listen, you guys aren't, you're not going to play. We'll see if that happens. Um, But yeah, you think one or two more spots might open up compared to if Max stayed. One of the more encouraging things that Mel Tucker said during his intro press conference was the fact that compliment can stick with a kid for a month. So he understands you can't come in here and just start screaming at these kids, Embry, enemy style, run it like a professional franchise. These are college kids. It doesn't work that way. But then he talked about, yeah, we're going to point out all the issues too. So mm-hmm. it was encouraging McIntyre built a good foundation around this. You didn't want somebody to come in and with a sledgehammer and just start knocking down walls. And Yeah, and I think Mel Tucker understands that he's walking into a pretty good situation. I mean, he hasn't specifically said that yet because he probably doesn't know enough. But I think at some point you'll see him say, like, listen, there's talent here. Like, I didn't... I didn't walk into a place that needs to rebuild like crazy. So I would, I would be surprised if he doesn't mention that at some point throughout well, this year. Yeah, to your point, he was making $1.5 million at Georgia. He didn't need this job. And he did say, I saw this as the right opportunity. And some guys might say that, and you might not believe him, but I genuinely think he believes that. And, and I think because yeah. he knows he inherited. So Yeah, so far he definitely believes. I mean, you could tell by just the way he's looking around <laughs> that he couldn't believe how beautiful this place is too which matters i mean it you know it doesn't matter at the end of the day you have to win otherwise you're gonna lose some interest obviously but 
Colorado is a beautiful place to live. It's a nice place to live. It's a comfortable place to live, and that matters too. Obviously, Mel Tucker had things going on in his life, coaching in the SEC championship game, but were you at all surprised that he had not even toured the facilities until he was already introduced as a new head coach? Uh, no, because we had heard that Rick was doing all of his interviews outside of Boulder so that people couldn't figure out what he was doing. So, no, it wasn't surprising. I guess my question is, are you surprised a coach would take the job without actually seeing the facilities first? Um, you can see yeah, quite a I bit of it so. online, I suppose. I guess so. I'd be, I guess I don't know enough about whether people are doing that. I don't, I don't know if that's a rare thing or not, but um, in, in, in this coaching search, it was kind of expected just because they were not bringing guys around. All right, Wyndon Buff asked, what do you guys think of the current state of the Pac-12 and the recent articles on Larry Scott? Have you gone through all those articles? Yeah. You, you suffered through them, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, it's hard to understand how the man has is not only, paid what, yeah, <laughs> not only is paid what he is, and uh, yeah, it's, it's looking like his days as commissioner of the Pac-12 are numbered. They better be, because he's not really doing anything well. <laughs> Unless you include scandal and embarrassing yourself. <laughs> He's doing those pretty well. Maybe don't have your next commissioner have a background as a tennis guy. Because it would annoy me when some of the times I've gone out to cover media day in Hollywood. And he goes up there and talks for 20 minutes about Olympic sports. And everyone in there is just like, dude, shut up. It's not trying to be like cold-hearted towards those sports. But we're not here for... No offense even to see you cross-country. That's not why we're here. And it's like he would kind of uh, try to distract people from cause some of the issues within the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it's this is more of a football question, it seems like, than a basketball question. Yeah. But the basketball is even worse. I mean, they're, they're so bad. So bad. Yeah. How bad that conference is in basketball this year. And, yeah, football's not a lot better. I mean, obviously being one of the top four is – Tougher. I mean, it's it's only been two years in a row they haven't got in, so I don't think that's disastrous, really. Um, but they didn't have anybody really amongst the top. There was no one even really in consideration this year, which is a problem. And obviously, how Washington State got handled, you know, how how their situation played out, not even making a New York Six ball. That's that's just Larry Scott not doing his job. As more people cut the cord, there is maybe a a point in the future where the Pac-12 network will be in a good position in owning all their content, right? But at the same time, you can't, as a major conference in college football, you can't have a majority, a good percentage of the country not be able to watch your games and call it a success. Yeah, especially, I mean, not only can you not watch it, you have to have 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 Pac-12 network and you have to be willing to stay up until 2 a.m., so there's not, not a whole lot of people on the East Coast that fall into that range. I mean, you look at the revenue that's created by different conferences, and clearly that's a big-time fail. I do think in terms of the football success or lack thereof, part of that is not on Larry Scott. It's simply there's really good coaches in areas that aren't shouldn't be the top programs. Mike Leach at Washington State, Kyle Whittingham at Utah, and then on the – other side, Clay Heldon at USC and some of these. See, that's lending itself to parity, too. I don't, as a commissioner, you can't go in and tell Washington State they have to fire Mike Leach because he's too good and they're upsetting what should be the powerhouse programs in the conference. Yeah. Even Mike McIntyre in 2016, you know, that kind of threw a wrench into things in the South. And so 
Um, I think when you have good coaches in the areas that aren't the perennial powerhouses, it's just going to lend itself to more parity. Yeah, I mean, I think the South in general is the major issue. I mean, for the most part, the North has been a competent division throughout. I mean, Stanford, Washington, Washington State have all been pretty good programs. Cal is certainly on the rise as well. Um, Oregon, obviously, is you know probably disappointed the last two years, but still, they're getting back in the right direction, and they have top five recruiting class so i mean it's just a south i mean there's not one team in the south that you could point at and say wow they're they're really doing impressive stuff yeah all right anything else you want to add on larry scott no No. let's move on (laughs) go buffs 80 asked what is a successful season in 2019 we know it is a tough schedule does six wins mean improvement for mel tucker are we beyond moral victories can't wait to hear your response to the moral victories card, Mel Tucker said it himself. Not an excuses program any longer. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if we win, it's how we win. <laughs> Which I'm sure the fan base will even like to hear that even more. No no crappy victories. <laughs> Trying to put teams into the dirt. What is your expectation for what a successful season in twenty nineteen would be given how, as he mentioned, brutal the schedule is? Yeah, I mean I think making a bowl game would be really awesome. I mean there's there's not a lot of obviously winnable games on the schedule next year. Now, I think a lot of them are winnable, obviously. There's going to be a lot of turmoil in the Pac-12 this year. But, yeah, I mean, you, I've definitely seen easier schedules, like more more, more simple ways to get to six wins. Um, you know, I, I think that he's going to be asked to have success right away. There's enough talent on this team to do so. But, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of games on that schedule that if we lose, you're going to be like, wow, how did that happen? You know, so we'll see how it plays out. I, I mean, not to say that he has a free pass next year, but it's going to be kind of a wait and see a, approach for me. I mean, there's a lot of ways this season could go, and I don't think anything would really surprise me other than us completely falling apart. Had they had this year's schedule next year, I might even expect eight wins. Yeah, seven for yeah. sure. But yeah, I think you got to go into next year. If they win six games, they go to a bowl game again. It's something. They've done very infrequently in the last decade and a half that, that that is viewed as a success. And that generates excitement in recruiting, and you start to kind of build in these younger classes and keep the train rolling. Yeah, I mean, that's one more win than we had this year, and you're going to a bowl game. You get an extra month of practice. I mean, that would be a market improvement. Ever Pillow by Infinite Moon sponsors Buff Stampede Radio. These guys are huge Buffs fans. These amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They were even highlighted on CBS Denver News recently. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ former felons, addicts, and homeless. Great pillows with a great purpose, fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams, all natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com. And use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us in Colorado. Perfected by you. InfiniteMoon.com This product saves Tyler Ziskin's neck and back on road trips to Nebraska with his fiance. Yeah, he sleeps on the floor. <laughs> if it wasn't for that wonderful pillow, Tyler, you would have had a lot of yeah, be crazy right and pains. In a so. wheelchair. Trying to recover from my Thanksgiving vacation. Again, that's infinitemoon.com. I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E moon.com. 
great product, can vouch for it personally, and uh, yeah, again, huge Buffs fan, so definitely a company to support. Before we sign off here, Tyler, let's get into a little basketball talk. A 7-1 start for Tad Boyle's squad. Just share with us your overall impressions of this team. Uh, well, I think 7-1 is probably where you would expect us to be right now, so nothing earth-shattering there. Uh, this is a much different Tad Boyle team than we've seen in years past, though. Typically, it's a grind it out, find ways to get more wins than maybe the analytics suggest we should type team. You know, like even the years where we were making the tournament, you look at Ken Palm or some of these other metrics, and they're like, I don't, they don't really love this team. And this team um, maybe hasn't, you know, seven and one, a couple closer games than people expected, maybe, but the analytics so far loves this squad. So it's been kind of interesting to watch. They play with a lot more pace than we're used to. They shoot the ball a lot better than we used to. They rebound the ball like we are used to, though. <laughs> so that's good. That's what you like to see, especially since we're a little bit shorter this year. Um, it's It's been, overall, I think, a really fun group. I think in a lot of years, you look at their strength of schedule so far, which has not been strong, obviously. Tad Boyle talked about the fact they couldn't schedule any major conference programs. You'd be really concerned maybe when you get into conference play, but the conference is so down this year that, I mean, they're they're going to hang in there with most of the teams in the conference. I I think I expected them to finish around fifth or sixth in, in the Pac-12, and I kind of still have those expectations. What about yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. I think that's within the realm of reason for sure. Um, it's a bad league. And at, at this point, there's not a single team that we play at home that I feel like we shouldn't beat because there's nobody that has that – there's no elite team this year. So we're going to have our opportunities for sure. They're going to have to obviously find a way to win some games on the road. to start. They don't play a home game for over a month. You know That's usually not good for your overall win-loss win record. They're going to have to find a way to kind of weather the storm a bit here for the next five weeks, I think it is. So you know, 9 of 11 on the road is not great. Buff shooting a conference best 49.5% from the field. Defense has been inconsistent. And Shine the Buff asked, is this men's basketball team improved offense and rebounding rate a reflection of our schedule, or will it be a benchmark of a successful team in conference play? Kind of going off that, do you expect the offense to continue to be the strength and defense be inconsistent as they go forward with, with the tougher opponents? Yeah, I think they're pretty well balanced. I mean, the defense has definitely had its moments of issue for sure. Um, but that it, basketball sometimes it just happens. Like teams are going to be hot at some point. I mean, you talk about I mean, that Omaha game. I mean, the shots that they were throwing in that game, it's just like I don't really know what you're expecting anyone to do here. Now, against CSU, they really struggled, especially in the second half. And obviously this last game as well against Illinois-Chicago, they shot 60%. So that's not what you want to see. I mean, they, But at the end of the day, they did turn the ball over 24 times. So all that stuff counts. It, it didn't exactly look pretty, but it got the job done. Um, in terms of adjusted efficiency, they're 70th in the country, both offensively and defensively. That's obviously as well-balanced as you yeah. can be. Um, and people say, oh, that's a schedule thing. Well, it's not. That's what the adjusted means. So uh, they adjust for that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, things can change when you play better talent and things fall apart when, you know, you're not clearly better than the guy across from you. Uh, so we'll have to see how it plays out. But for now, I mean, they, they certainly have a lot of ways to score. Uh, there's a lot of guys on this team that are capable of putting up 15, 20 points a night in a night. And defensively, I think they're 
is a lot of talent there too. I mean, I would say, honestly, Tyler Bay hasn't been as great defensively as people expected so far, and he'll get it going. I mean, he's he's got he's got it, you know, everything you could ever want in an elite defensive player. So um, they'll continue to improve, and, you know, a lot of these guys are young and don't have a lot of experience yet, so it's only eight games, and we'll see if it continues to gel. After averaging 12.3 points through the first four games, McKinley Wright's averaged 18 points in the Buffs' last four contests, has shot 54% from the field, ranks second in the conference in assists, just slightly behind UCLA's Jalen Hands. Maybe pressing a little bit coming into the season, but he yeah. certainly has that comfortability, that swagger that we saw from him at times last year. I think he was pressing in favor of his teammates rather than himself. I don't think he was really trying to go off and put up huge games. It seemed to me like he was trying too hard to get other guys involved. Um, it would have been nice to have the last four games McKinley against San Diego. you feel a bit yeah. better about how things might have gone down the stretch for sure. But, I mean, we just saw San Diego. They whacked San Diego State at home. It's a good team. So, I mean, yes, they had a chance to win that game. They would have been in great position had they won that game. But in San Diego's probably a top 75, maybe even better than that team in the country this year. So not the end of the world. Uh, would have been a huge result, in, you know, come tournament time if they had had that win, though. Do they have to run the table, rest of non-conference, to give you hope that they're... Probably not, because there's a lot of mediocre basketball teams this year. I mean, you you look around the country, there's a lot of teams that are in position to make tournaments that already have three losses, and we have one. Now, obviously, our schedule has been suspect, and, you know, come... Down the line, if we have 20 wins and a strength of schedule that's awful, you know, going up against 18 and maybe they have a top 50 strength of schedule, we're not going to win that battle. So that's the one thing that's tough is your strength of schedule matters come tournament time. But they're going to have to find a way to win some games on the road. I mean, this, this new ranking system, the net, is really high on Colorado so far, kind of surprisingly. Um, we're 40th. So, I mean, that's you're going to get into the tournament with that. And that's not playing a great schedule. So... We'll see how they can finish up the year, but I think they have played their way into a shot. We'll do your Pac-12 power rankings once we get into conference play. Right now, where would you put the buffs in the Pac-12 a month into the season? Um, somewhere in the top six. Uh, Washington would probably be my number one. Arizona State would probably be two for me right now. Arizona would probably be three. And then we would probably be right in there with UCLA at four and five. And then Oregon probably has to be six. I mean, they certainly have the talent to be higher up there, but they haven't played well yet. I mean, that's just a reality. Still one scholarship available for 2019. Luke O'Brien is the first pledge for 2020. He's a, a wing from Columbine. I don't think we've talked about him on the podcast yet, have we? Uh, yeah, we haven't talked to him about him a ton. He's really developed in the past two years probably gained 30 pounds last year um probably four inches as well he was a guy who was probably going to be a point guard for a good period of his development but now he's almost six eight uh, so they're gonna be able to use him in a lot of different ways he's certainly not the most explosive athlete you've ever seen in your yeah. life but he is a very natural shooter he reminds me he's kind of a little bit like deshaun schwartz a guy's not going to wow you athletically crafty, um, can finish in a lot of different ways. Um, Deshaun's probably a little more athletic, especially vertically, but Luke O'Brien's a really, really good shooter. He's coached by Josh Perkins' dad, Randy Perkins, the Colorado Miners. I did an interview with him, and 
he said that he doesn't have armpit hair yet, and that's an indicator that he is still maturing. I had, don't, I had don't never lie. heard that. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that before. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Now that's usually signs of becoming an adult, I guess. But I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with you <laughs> size-wise. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a really big last two years in terms of his development. So I, I mean, I know he's had he's been really good so far. I saw on Twitter he had he was blowing up the other night. So that's good to see. I mean, he's he's going to be. It's not like football where you can. There's usually if you're stud as a freshman, it goes all the way through. In basketball, the development that you see from one year to the next is so drastic. Like if you watched him today, some people would probably be like, he's not ready for college. And I would say you're right. He's 16. <laughs> so if you look at, just watch his freshman film compared to his sophomore film compared to what you'll see from him this year, and you'll start to understand why, okay, this kid has a chance. All right, Tyler. Uh, I think that wraps this up. We've got a lot of recruiting stuff we're going to be sifting through in the next week and couple of days, and we're going to be putting a lot of videos together on the guys we expect to be early signees. Any guys that in this recruiting class – you have his top priorities to, to stick on board. Titus Toller, who seems a little sketchy right now, would be big. He's a hard hitter. I definitely liked him. Mark Perry, I think, yeah. is really huge. He's a, near the top of the list. For yeah, me. Mark Perry is definitely really huge. All right, Tyler, thanks for joining me again. We got new podcast equipment on the way. I'm excited about that. We'll get some GQ back in our lives. Move it up soon. in the world, man. All right, thanks to all of you for tuning in.